had stumbled upon another perfectly good edition of Fangraphs Audio. I am Carson Sestouli, Fangraphs contributor and occasional destroyer. Today on the show, we invite Mr. Cameron Carruth and Smith into the fold as we take a longer gaze at some of the organizational reports that we've been writing on the site. In particular, we look at Cleveland. We look at Cleveland's minor league moves, and we also look at the New York Mets and uh, any animosity they might have towards Matthew Carruth. Additionally, we ask the question, what makes for a quality team-specific blog? We do this ahead of Jack Moore's leap into the world of team-specific blogging and his Disciples of Euchre. Finally, we get something like a DL on Chad Godan. Only the most timely news here at Fangraphs Audio. Stay tuned. Yes, welcome once again to Fangraphs Audio. I'm joined by three strapping, three, three strapping young young men. Well, two strapping young men, and Dave Cameron. Let's see. We have. Let's do it in alphabetical order. In fact, if we do that, we will start with Mr. Dave Cameron. He's the editor of Fangraphs. He's my sworn enemy. Dave, how are you doing today, sir? Uh, apparently, I'm doing old. <laughs> You're doing old. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, what people may or may not know is that, in fact, we have to schedule these these podcast recordings for about 3:30 uh, p.m. Eastern time, so that you can go to dinner and still catch the early bird special. What is it? Is it surf or turf for you, Cameron? Uh, both. I like, I like the surf and the turf. The surf and the turf. Fancy guy. Well, you do make the big bucks. Uh, let's continue going in alphabetical order. We have a gentleman out on the left coast. He is the ace of database. He's a man in charge of Lookout Landing, along with his compadre, uh, if not that he's Latino, Jeff Sullivan. His name is, <laughs> his name is Matthew Carruth. How are you doing, Carruth? I'm doing well. Good. That's right. And uh, you definitely did not blow off work to do the pod today. No, not at all. Not at all. Good. That's good to hear. Also in the house is uh, second week in a row um, is uh, is one of our, our resident prospect mavens. His name is Brian Smith. Sir, you also did not blow off work today. Is that entirely correct? Absolutely. Yeah, good. All right. Well, good to hear. Uh, well, we, here we are today congregating uh, around this uh, incredibly circular, uh, absolutely round table uh, to do a little discussion today. Of course, we are once again in the uh, in the in the midst of Fangraphs organization reports, organization rankings, and I think that's probably uh, it makes sense to start there. Let's start with the Indians because we have a couple of guys who worked on the Indians here. Cameron, you wrote uh, as you have for all of them. I think what do you, what do you you give ten minutes, maybe twenty minutes each to these because you are, as I've mentioned in the comments section over at Fangraphs, part robot. You wrote the wrap up to the Indians. Uh, to the Indians organizational report. It seemed as though there was some dissent among the commentariat. What's going on there, and why do you think people were dissenting? Uh, well, I put the Indians number 13 in the organizational rankings, and I think people didn't like that because they lost like 155 games last year or something. They were, they were pretty bad. And then they traded away Cliff Lee and Victor Martinez, and they're clearly rebuilding. Um, so I think people generally expect teams that were bad and traded away good players to not do very well, but uh, I'm pretty bullish on the Indians, actually. I think there's uh, their young talent is one of the better uh, cores in the game with size Warren Chu and Cabrera and Carlos Santana and um, you know Matt Laporta and uh, you know Fausto Carmona is throwing strikes in spring training. Now, spring training, but anytime Fausto Carmona throws strikes, that's uh, news. So, you know, I think there's um, enough interesting players there that I think the Indians could actually be significantly better this year. I, I wouldn't be totally shocked if they were uh, contenders even into August and September. I don't expect them to win the American League Central necessarily, but I can see them winning 80, 85 games. And considering that they have a, a plethora of young talent, I think they're only going to get better in the next few years. 
And uh, I mean, do you see them as being the sort of biggest thorns in the side of the Minnesota Twins en route to their uh, AL AL Central domination? Yeah, probably. I mean, I think the Tigers and White Sox uh, are getting older and uh, probably not long-term contenders. Maybe the White Sox a little bit more than the Tigers. Uh, as Tigers fans know, I'm just not a huge fan of what they put together. Uh, and, you know, the Royals are going to be in last place forever. So um, I, I do see the Indians probably challenging the Twins in 2011 and 2012, especially if they can get some of this young pitching sorted out. If guys like Carlos Carrasco or Justin Masterson can step up and give them some semblance of rotation, I think the Indians could actually be pretty good in a couple of years. So um, I'm sticking my neck out on the line a little bit on this one. But, you know, I did the same thing with the Rays a couple of years ago, and that turned out pretty well. And people were mad that I ranked the Mariners so highly last year. Uh, when they were coming off a terrible season, and you know, I think that one was justified as well. So uh, I'm okay sticking a team coming off a bad year, fairly high in the ranking with the talent is there, and I think in Cleveland the talent is there. Okay, Brian Smith, turning to you, you did the uh, future talent report for the for the Indians. You did you catch a little heat too? Is, am I reading that correctly? Yeah, I think most of it came down to a petty remark I made about Shinsu Chu, but I can understand when I'm incorrect as I was for the uh, commenters to this clash a, down ha- on me. Having to do with his uh, his platoon splits, is that about right? Yeah, I was stuck in 2005 and 2006 when Shinsu Chu was a terrible hitter against left-handed pitchers, but to his credit, he's gotten better, and yes, the Indians should play him every day. Look how... Uh, look what the, the sort of humility and confidence it takes to admit your, your flaws. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to know you, Brian Smith. Um, <laughs> another reason I'm... I'm I'm at least happy to know you is because I'm allowed to ask you this question. I really liked uh, the stuff you were you were sort of mentioning about Mark Shapiro, the GM of the Cleveland Indians, and not necessarily his work on the, on the major league level, although that seems to be admirable enough. But you were talking about the way he's able to sort of, uh, dare I say, think outside the box uh, with regard to some of his minor league movement. And can you guys uh, sort of give us a summary of, of your comments on, on that uh, that front? Sure. I I think what the Indians do maybe better than anyone in the major leagues, and one of the reasons we ranked them highly was the process they take to acquiring players is as good as anybody. And when they make trades with people and and they acquire prospects in the deal, I don't see another team that has a better success rate. This is a team that acquired Estrubal Cabrera and Shinsu Chu for Ben Broussard and I don't remember the other one, but Eduardo Perez. Perez. They traded Bob Wickman and and got Max Ramirez back, who became you know someone they traded away for another veteran piece. So they they get prospects on the low and either use them for value or they trade them away a little higher, and that's a huge skill. Is that all just scouting? Uh, does this mean that they just have these excellent? Uh, and, and what sort of scout do you call that? In fact, is it just called minor league scouting? Do they have people uh, going to uh, you know other teams' minor league games to check out the talent? I mean, what exactly? How does it exactly work logistically? Well, the scouting department will have some guys that just focus on amateur scouting, and then some guys will do both amateur and minor league scouting. But others are just professional scouts. They're called, and and they go from minor league stadium to minor league stadium in their area, and fill out reports on dozens of players, and it just seems like those guys have a really good idea of who's going to succeed in the major leagues and who's undervalued. And one final question just on uh, Shapiro and and his minor league uh, work there. Um, Is that a situation, or might that turn into a situation where other teams become wary, maybe, 
of uh, of trading their minor leaguers away to Shapiro, because as soon as they do, that maybe they think they're going to get, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, screwed in the deal. I don't think so. I'm, I we always worried, or we always wondered if that would happen with Billy Bean, and if him taking people to the house with trades would make maybe Kenny Williams stop trading with him. But it doesn't seem to. <laughs> if guys, if guys can get the veteran they want, they're going to give up a prospect and I think what happens is the teams that trade away these prospects don't think he's a great player. I don't think the Mariners thought Shinsu Chu would ever be able to hit left handers or ever be able to play every day. But the Indians had faith in it, so when the Mariners thought they were making an okay deal trading away a C prospect, the Indians saw a guy that they could transform into an everyday player. Yeah. Alright, well now let's uh, move on to a different team and then that's the Mets and that, that also re- received quite a bit of attention uh, among the commentariat and uh, Mr. Matthew Carruth, you were the gentleman who wrote that uh, particular current talent report uh, maybe you received a little bit of heat for that too and I know that maybe there is already sort of an extant um, adversarial relationship between uh, some of the, f- uh, the Mets fans and of course there are a lot of them and of course many of them are from New York and so that makes them adversarial to begin with, perhaps. Uh, what was the deal? What, what was the sort of flack you were receiving, and uh, do you have any sort of rebuttal for it? Uh, sure. Well, I would have to say, I guess maybe, you know, living in New York and rooting for, for the Mets when you're surrounded by Yankees fans, probably not the easiest thing. So uh, I can sort of understand a little oversensitivity at times, uh, not to totally frame it in that sense, but I do think some of it was, was way overblown. Uh, I will lead off, though, with... Joining Brian Smith in, in offering a correction, if you will, a little, little less uh, self-effacing than an apology, but I did get the Mets 2009 payroll wrong. Uh, I did not see, I just took the number from Cott's contracts, and instead of investigating it uh, player by player, so I didn't see that Gary Sheffield, Gary, Gary Sheffield's salary was counted in Cott's number, uh, but that was actually paid by the Tigers. Okay. So instead of 150 million, they were about 140 million, which changes the 18% drop all the way to a 14% drop. So clearly, I was just massively <laughs> off base with that. Yes, yeah, incredibly that, self-effacing. That just, uh, what we're seeing here. Uh, <laughs> um, but I think now, uh, some of the other criticisms you were receiving was with, with regard to the health of the team, and of course, this, this is obviously a huge issue for the Mets last year. Uh, as uh, Delgado missed most of the season, Jose Reyes missed right. most of the season. Um, I think that uh, Fernando Tatis, I don't know, I just like to say that name. So I, he's <laughs> probably somehow relevant in this. Uh, what is your outlook on the, on, the, on the Mets' health this year? It's Overall, I don't think it's very good. I don't think it's uh, – it, it sh- probably won't be as awful as it was in 2009, but when you're dealing with the same sort of players who have – now more of a recent injury history, you you just have to be more conservative when you're projecting forward. Now, uh, I, I took some flack on mentioning Jose Reyes' thyroid condition. Uh, the actual line that I wrote was that he might miss time in 2010, and it was you know, near me talking about Jose Reyes and the thyroid condition. I understand he's been cleared to play again, but anybody who thinks Jose Reyes is going to play 162 games in 2010 is... Overly optimistic about his ability. He did miss time in 2009 for an unrelated condition. That could crop up again. And he's a shortstop. Shortstops get banged up. They get nicked. And Reyes, with his speed, is a little bit more prone to being nicked up on stolen base plays. Uh, I don't. I don't think. 
I wasn't accusing Jose Reyes of going to miss significant time only because of his thyroid condition. So I think some people took that uh, slightly out of context. But uh, speaking to the Mets as a whole, yeah, they have – so they do have Reyes back apparently at 100%. Uh, I, I'm a little doubtful as to that claim anyways. Uh, Beltran's going to miss some time to start the year. So, I mean, right off the bat, they're not uh, – who, who really knows? They're, yeah. they're not in great shape. Now, uh, D- Dave Cameron – how do you see uh, the Mets in their health situation this year? Jose Reyes, Carlos Beltran are, are obviously the two biggest, uh, you know, sort of guys that we're looking at as far as that's concerned. Do you, do you view that as a serious problem, or do you think that they'll both rebound kind of uh, towards the higher end of their uh, of their returns? Well, I think there's definitely concerns. I mean, Beltran's knee at this point has uh, been a lingering problem for years. I mean, he's been able to play at a high level before, but if he's uh, less than 100 percent, you're going to have to degrade his projected performance. And I think so. The, even when Beltran comes back, I don't think you can expect him to be a six or seven win player like he was a couple of years ago. So um, that's definitely a concern. Johan Santana's had barky elbows and declining strikeout rates. Uh, you know, I think basically almost all of the Mets' best players come with some significant injury history. Uh, you know, the Red Sox reportedly shied away from Jason Day because he has the knees of a 142-year-old man. So, you know, there's just there's tons of injury problems. Uh, Oliver Perez is hardly ever healthy, but they might actually be better if he went on the disabled list. So maybe uh, that chance would be open if Perez goes down with an elbow injury. I'm not sure. Right. Uh, Brian Smith, it sounds like uh, it sounds like Angel Pagan might be the starting center fielder in uh, in the absence of... Uh, of Carlos Beltran, what can you tell us about Angel Pagan and how he might play and what he's worth defensively too? He's a nice player. He's he's a typical fourth outfielder type. He switch hits. He has a little bit of every skill. You know, he can hit the ball over the fence every once in a while. He has pretty good speed. But um, he's not a guy you want starting every day. But for a month when Carlos Beltran's out, I, I don't think it'll be a huge problem. Okay. Now certainly better than Gary Matthews Jr. Oh yeah, yes. that's right. Well, he'll be he'll be around too. Uh, old Sarge, right. I believe they call him. Uh, oh, interesting here. Um, this uh, definitely uh, sh- shifting gears here, but uh, in the most exciting way possible. Our very own Jack Moore has decided to take on a uh, team-specific website, and uh, it's of course for his. He wouldn't call it hometown Brewers because I think he actually lives closer to the Twins technically. But he does live in the state of Wisconsin, which at least makes him his, his home state Brewers. A website he's... Beloved Brewers. Beloved Brewers, sure. Maybe. Yeah, why not Why not say that? And he, so he's calling the website Disciples of Euchre, a, a, a title uh, that I, um, that I uh, second wholeheartedly. Uh, I wouldn't go to it yet because I think all there is there is a uh, JPEG in the banner, and it's just a picture of... Uh, Bob Euchre in front of a weird blue stained glass window. But I thought because we have two gentlemen here who are, in fact, the proprietors of uh, respective team-oriented websites, M- uh, Mr. Kruth and uh, Lookout Landing, along with Jeff Sullivan, uh, Mr. Dave Cameron, um, started, you started USS Mariner with Derek Zumsteg, if I'm saying that correctly. You are. Yeah, okay, good. Well, so I'm curious, um, and we could do this by way you know, specifically of advising young Jack Moore on on how he might make Disciples of Euchre a big, big hit, but maybe more generally comment upon what you think makes uh, what you think makes a, a team-oriented blog work, so that it both appeals to the fans, but also maybe um, you know re- remains at an intelligent enough level of discourse uh, as to uh, you know as to have some sort of credibility. Dave Cameron, uh, let's start with you. You know, I guess when did you first get into that racket, and what have you, you know, what did you go in trying to do, and what have you learned about making a good team-oriented blog? 
Well, I think Derek Vumstead and Jason Michael Barker and myself started U.S. Inventor back in like uh, 2002. I think it's been a while. Uh, so we've been doing this for like seven or eight years. Um, essentially, we just needed a place. We would trade emails frequently. This is back before I knew what a blog was, really. So we would trade emails about how uh, bad Pat Gillick was at putting together the back end of a roster and why the team was trading for Al Martin. And uh, eventually, we just decided to publish it. And uh, you know, it took off. I think what we've discovered is the key is to really post frequently. Like, if you uh, put up a lot of content, people like that, and they know that they can go there every day and get some new content. That's that's a big plus. Um, and also, just say something that no one else is saying. So you have to kind of find the niche. Uh, there are beat reporters out there who are going to be covering the team. They're going to have news of the day stuff before you. So if you just try and like recap what's happening with the team or tell people what they saw, they're not going to be that interested. But you know, a USS Mariner and you know Matthew and Jeff over at Lookout Landing, I think part of what our niche was is telling the Mariners just how wrong they were doing absolutely everything for like five years. Um, and you know, I think the general media was all about like, oh man, this team's really good. They just traded for Eric Bedard, and so the fact that we were able to like lay out logically why that was like the worst trade in the history of trades uh, gave us the opportunity to kind of uh, be the only one speaking from that kind of perspective. And so, you know, if people wanted a, a diverse opinion from what they were getting in the mainstream, they kind of had to come to us, and um, it worked out pretty well for us, I think. And so the key is really, you know, say a lot of stuff, but say stuff that other people isn't saying. Okay, well, Caruth, uh, a similar question to you. When did you start? And if it was actually, if it was after the creation of uh, of USS Mariner, which is, a, which is clearly a competent blog, uh, what were you guys, were you looking to differentiate, to differentiate yourself from, from that uh, or act just as another sort of uh, landing spot for Mariners fans? Um, and what, what have you learned? Well, uh, I will say, obviously, it did, Lookout Landing came after USS Mariner. And uh, when it started, it was, it was just Jeff. Uh, he got, he, he was blogging, uh, I think he was with the same sort of grouping as, uh, as David and Derek and all on, on kind of like, ESPN message boards and stuff way, way, way back when. And uh, sort of offshoot, he had his own blog, uh, Leone for Third, which got recruited into the SB Nation network when that was really just first forming up. I think Lookout Landing was the fourth blog ever uh, recruited into that. And he ran that by himself for uh, two, two to three years or so. Um, I was a frequent commenter on the site, and... I guess just kind of got picked to start writing a little bit more f- prominently. I guess you will you will say around 2007 or so. So uh, prior to that, I, th- I think I've been working with Hardball Times as well around the same time. So I've been blogging, I guess you can call it, for about three years now, but commenting at least for a lot longer. Which, well, I guess that doesn't really merit any attention. <laughs> uh, <laughs> lots so, of people comment. So what do you want to say to uh, to young Jack Moore uh, in terms of success? Because Lookout Landing, uh, of course, uh, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but just uh, anecdotally, I, I think it has to be one of the more successful team-oriented blogs. What are you? What, you know, what's your advice to young Jack Moore? Dave Cameron says post frequently. Do you have anything to add beyond? Uh, and also say say what other people aren't saying. Um, yeah, I would. I would definitely one two. I would echo what Dave said. I, Posting a lot is is key. It's tantamount to keeping people to come back to your site. And also, uh, the note that I had written down in preparation for answering this question was to offer something different that people can't see, which uh, Dave already kind of stole that stole right point from, from me. But right at him, yeah, right off my notebook here. But you know, it doesn't always have to be. You know, 
it could be just a different voice, a different a different sort of analysis to the team, different sorts of features. But it does you do need to have for something unique that people can't get anywhere else because otherwise they're probably going to get it from where they're currently getting it. You have to give them a reason to switch to you or to add you to their RSS feed. If did, I don't know, do people still use RSS feeds? I don't know. I, I, okay, well, old people like Dave Cameron still use RSS Aye, feeds. Ooh. <laughs> Dave, uh, Dave Cameron, just one last question on this. I'm wondering how you sort of view uh, the balance between uh, numbers and writing. Uh, I mean, uh, as far as your your team specific um, blog goes, how, how do you uh, look to combine those? I think I heard you saying at one point that you actually had to sort of change up your writing style when you joined Fangraphs from USS Mariner. Yeah, I mean, obviously writing for Fangraphs is a significantly different. Uh, USS Mariner, I used to just write like 6,000 word screeds and I uh, would go on forever. And, you know, I think if I tried to do this at this point, Appleman would fall and yell at me. So I, I try and shorten typos on Fangraphs. But, you know, it's definitely, um, there's a different audience and there's just a different tone to writing too. So like when you're writing for Mariner fans, you can assume a lot of things that are generally known. Uh, you know, I can call someone Tui, and people j- will know that I'm talking about Matt Tui off the sofa, or if I just wrote the word Tui on Fangraphs, that might cause some confusion. So there's definitely a different uh, slant between writing for a national site and a local site. And I think um, one of the things that Matthew noted is in terms of, like, having something different, it doesn't necessarily have to mean that you just disagree with what the mainstream is going to say. I think, like, you know, look at Landing and USS Mariner occupy a similar space, but uh, are very different blogs. Sullivan is, uh, he's remarkably hilarious. So, like, you know, I'm not very funny. Jeff is very funny, which is one of the reasons his blog has done really well and built a community around Mariner fans, even in the existence of U.S. Mariner, which is, you know, probably a little bit larger in traffic and notoriety, but Jeff has found his own voice in uh, making people laugh. And, you know, he's a good analyst, too, and nothing against his, uh, his analysis. He no his time, but, you know, he's very funny. And uh, so I think, you know, the key is to just really find what you're good at and do that, and so I wouldn't encourage Jack to just be contrarian for contrarian sakes, but, you know, uh, we, we've all hung out with Jack. He's a decently funny guy, so uh, just find the thing that he does well, and he'll be fine. Although he is a little bit of a math snob. I'm not sure if you if you uh, remember that. I do, but, uh, you know, I think besides you, everyone else will be okay with that. Oh, snap. <laughs> well, uh, okay. Hey, well, I just wanted to end uh, this uh, on one note. I wanted to ask about Chad Godin. I think, actually, young Jack Moore wrote an article about that. Dave Cameron... Uh, uh, Chad Godin, just a quick uh, quick hit maybe. Uh, the Yankees released him. Well, sorry, they put him on waivers because he, he wasn't going to be the fifth starter. Phil, Phil Hughes is. They put him on waivers and then released him. Uh, two questions, uh, three questions. Why, uh, you know, why why did no other team pick him up? Why did they not send him down to Triple A uh, after he after he cleared waivers? And finally, where do you think he'll end up? Yeah, so uh, the Gadan thing was kind of a procedural move. Um, essentially, it, because Gadan was awarded his contract through arbitration, uh, it was not fully guaranteed. So by putting him on waivers, they gave other teams a chance to claim him at the full $3 million salary. No one wanted to pay Chad Gadan $3 million for 2010. So he cleared waivers by releasing him rather than outrighting him. They paid him $780,000 in termination fee uh, rather than the entire $3 million they would have had to pay him if he would have been outrighted to AAA and accepted the assignment. So they saved themselves like $2.2 million, which you know will allow the Yankees to buy uh, more gold rings for their gold rings. Um, <laughs> I think re- realistically... The uh, Gaudin's probably not worth $3 million in this market where guys like Pedro Martinez and Jared Washburn are hanging around looking for jobs. So teams realize that they could sign them 
sign him for less than claiming him off waivers, which is why no one grabbed him. Uh, I would expect Godin to end up in a uh, significant pitcher's park. He's floated around between a bunch of those with Oakland and San Diego. He seems to like pitching in these big parks, and he's kind of a fly ball guy at times, uh, against righties especially. So, you know, I think uh, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if Godin latched on with a team that uh, maybe needs a fifth starter swing guy who could balance in between the rotation and the the, bull, uh, the bullpen. Um, I don't think he's a long-term starter. He's got some big platoon splits, so he's actually better suited to a relief role. But it'll be interesting to see what team picks him up and uh, how many innings they give him this year. All right. Well, that uh, represents uh, yet another episode of Fangraphs Audio and the white-hot analysis that goes along with it. For Mr. Dave Cameron, my sworn enemy, thank you, sir. Yeah, you're welcome, Carson. All right. For Mr. Brian Smith, our resident prospect maven, thank you, sir. Thanks, Carson. All right, and for Mr. Matthew Cruz, thank you for definitely not blowing off work today. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Carson. Okay, good. All right. Once again, this has this has been another edition of Fangraphs Audio, uh, and uh, you know, join us join us again as we uh, as we bring the bring the pain week in and week out. Thank you very much for listening.